Welcome back to the Shout Out Electron. I am your host, Quali Kush from QualiKush.com. And today's episode is The Black Print for Wealth. We got a very special guest. This man is a millionaire many times over. And he now has his own wealth academy where he teaches young black people how to build generational wealth. He also just published a book called Monetizing Gentrification. And trust me when I tell you that you definitely want to read this book. Don't go get one of those financial help books from one of those financial teachers that's supposed to teach you how to get rich but all they do is teach and they made all their money teaching you how to get rich this is not one of those books and this is not one of those brothers this brother made his millions in business and he didn't start teaching until he was decades out the game so when he writes about how to get rich he's talking about how he actually got rich not just teaching you some fairy tale like some of these other so-called authors out here so with that being said if you ever wanted to talk to a millionaire and ask them how did you do it how did you get rich how do you go from the hood to the hamptons well today is your lucky day you get to ask them and talk to him yourself we're gonna pick his brain and find out exactly what is the black prince of wealth so i want to introduce to you global business leader, celebrity mechanic, author, speaker, and national real estate guru, Thomas T.J. Lofton. How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm doing great, man. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, no, thank you, brother, for giving us your time and coming on here and, and blessing us with the gift of the game, because we know you got a lot of wisdom and knowledge as it pertains to business and wealth generation, and we want to get to all of that. But first, I want to start off because I love cars. First of all, I love cars. So when I was reading your book, I was so intrigued because you basically revolutionized the entire lowrider industry. Can you tell us how you did that? Like, how did you go about doing that? You know, it was a great. It was a great time. At, it was a great time in low riding. Uh huh. Really, there was only like three thousand low riders roundabout in Compton, LA, and Watts. Okay. And how I did it was a lot of guys. There was only a few people who built those cars. Right. So African Americans who sat in their backyards and restored those cars for a living. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I was taught by one of those guys some of those guys who, who did that. Mm. And what I realized was we had a lot of rappers, you know, growing up in Compton. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And we had relationships with them, and they like low rides too. So it was like, okay, they're going to start putting cars and videos. Okay. My buddy came to me and said, TJ, you should start a business because they're going to start putting cars and videos. And next thing you know, we did that, and all of a sudden, I said, you know what? These guys are out of their backyards. They're, they look very unprofessional, so I need to help this thing out. So I decided to move to the main street. Really, my mom motivated me by kicking me out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I moved to the main street, and I had to go get this thing called a business license and, you know, all right. of that kind of stuff, insurance. And yeah. when I did that, you know, people started recommending things. TJ, you should advertise. You know, I'm like, what's that? <laughs> I started venturing into these different avenues and I found out that, you know, when I'm advertising, you know, I can advertise. Okay. I was advertising on this one place called, uh, one, one little local newspaper, $500 a month. Mm -hmm. And I was showing 50,000 people, but then they said, wow, if you advertise in Lowrider magazine, that's four countries at 1.2 million people. Wow. That's a, that's a thousand dollars a month. So I'm like, that's a lot of money, but, you know, let's see what happens. And I started doing that, 
And it, it was just amazing, you know. So now, all of a sudden, I'm making so much money advertising, I found out there were some other magazines that were selling in countries that I wasn't being sold in. So I started advertising in those, and I had like at least 30% of my money going into advertisement. So what happened was we started building so fast that I started spending a lot of money towing these junk cars from all over the country. People calling me from Mississippi. I'm in Compton, California, and they're calling me from Mississippi saying, I got a backyard full of those old raggedy cars that you like, you know? And you go get them from all the way from Mississippi? Yeah, we take $300 a piece, but you got to pay to get them back. Okay, so okay. I called. That's $1,000 a piece to get them back to California. So now I'm paying all. I'm paying $30,000 a month to tow these junk cars back to California so I can fix them up and sell them. And now all of a sudden it opened the door up. So maybe I need to buy my own tow trucks and car haulers, et cetera, et cetera. Oh. So we started buying car haulers and tow trucks and things like that. So when guys would come up there, you know, just got out of prison or something, say, can you give me a job? I would give them a tow truck. <laughs> you know, say, okay, here, I need you to go take this tow truck. I need you to go to Mississippi, Florida, Georgia, pick up these cars and bring them back. So, you know, now you got 10 years later, these guys got 14 tow trucks and worth millions of dollars, you know? It's off, off of that other avenue. There was so many avenues. So now we're talking about... Okay, I'm spending a lot. Of, I'm like, now let's go down the list of what am I spending money on. Okay. I'm spending money on uh, 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 painting cars. I'm spending money on brand new engines and transmissions. I'm spending money on interior. So I'm like, well, you know what? I spent $120,000 last year on doing interior. So when I found a young man who knew how to do interior, I put up the money, a whole $5,000, and helped him start a business. Mm. Now he works on my stuff. You know, so all of a sudden now we got the guy who's doing interior shops and he's creating generational wealth. And then all of a sudden I started helping people open up paint shops, you know, because oh, all of the materials and the, 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 the machinery to create a paint shop is only $10,000. I'm like, oh, and you can get a building to paint cars, put about 10 cars in there for another 3000 a month or something like that. So it's like, okay, well, let's go. So I just started dotting all the I's and crossing all the, I mean, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. And next thing you know, we was really making some good money. So every time a video would come out with Ice Cube or Dr. Dre and all the guys, all of a sudden they'd be in Germany, Japan, Australia, and they'd be like, wow, I met a, a real wealthy guy in, in Japan that really wants to buy that car out the video. What? <laughs> it's like, do I want to sell it? Like, he like, TJ, he's a great-grandson, the heir of Toyota Motors. Oh, he got the money, so yeah, I want 100000 <laughs> <laughs> I know that, right? A car that was worth 30000 in Compton, you know what I mean? Oh, man. All of a sudden, he's like, hey, man, I'll take it. And then I realized, I said, wait a minute, when you tell them that you don't want to sell it, they got to have it. They're willing to pay more money. The power of persuasion. So, you know, now we're selling cars from 30000 and jumped up to $100,000 on average, you know, and it was just amazing. You know, we're getting deals with movie companies. Hey, we're doing straight out of Compton. Wow. We need, like, 150 lowriders. You know, can you help us out? <laughs> you know, like, $1,500 per car, I think we can, you know? <laughs> we were meeting people, talking to people. It was just amazing. So it, it got to a point where I'm building custom cars. I'm the only one on the planet, you know, us Compton guys, that know how to fix these cars and restore these cars mm -hmm. or know where we weld, how we welded the frame or how do we do all this amazing stuff. 
So they would literally call us from the other side of the planet and say, hey, that car you sold me, it's, it's broke. I need you to come out here and fix it. I'm like, what do you mean come out there? <laughs> right, right. I remember one guy, he said, he said, it was a ball player I sold a car in Florida. He was like, man, uh, I need you to come fix this car. Don't nobody out here know nothing about what you did. They looking at me crazy. You know, so it's like, I send you a, 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 I put you on a plane and get you out here. I'm like, I'm not getting on no regular plane. No, I'm going to send you a jet. Okay. <laughs> you know where the Hartside Airport is? I'm like, yeah, that's around the corner. Okay, we'll be there tomorrow at 3 o'clock. They will have a private jet pick you up and bring you out here, and he'll have you back tomorrow. Damn. You know, and I'm like, wow. You know, so I just got to see how this stuff really works. So then I have people saying, TJ, I want you to close your shop down and come be my personal mechanic because you got, you know, I got 150 cars over here. Damn. Uh, you know, what do you want, TJ? How much would I pay you? How much do you need? And I'm like, I can't do that, but I refer someone who can. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. There's a huge industry of people. Like, when you see these rappers on TV, these celebrities, and they're showing all their cars and all that, some of my whips and all of that, Yeah. they got personal mechanics that know how to fix those cars that maintain them. I see. Uh, hold on, hold on, right quick, Mr. Lofton, because you said a whole lot, and this really is the black print to wealth. And I just want to recap real quick for the people, just so they can um, understand fully what what everything that you said, because you said a whole lot. So basically, for everybody listening, he said that he started out selling cars, and then he hired people that were coming out of prison needing work. He would launch them into business, but he didn't just give them any business. He would put them in the business that he was spending money on in his business and and effectively uh, spreading out his business. He was launching other people in the business and they were gaining wealth and then they could go on and to do business for themselves and hire even more people. So it's, it's like you um, you had the, the Nipsey Hustle approach. 20, 30 years ago. So I just want to ask you, like, what made you have that um, mindset? Like, what gave you that that passion to go in that route? You know, I, I was a guy who grew up with a lot of uh, older brothers who, who, who took me under their wing and was coaching me, even though I didn't know that was a coach, you know? Uh-huh. So they would take me to different venues, avenues, and teach me different things, working on cars, how to do real estate, you know, I was just learning so much from these guys, so I felt that was just how it was growing up in Compton, you know? They saw some young brothers, they didn't want us to get in trouble, so they started pulling the ones that would listen, that was coachable to the side, and said, let me teach you some stuff. You know, this is going to make sure you never go to jail if you learn this stuff right here. Right, right, right. Okay, well, that sounds good. And it's like, I got into a situation. Anyway, so I felt obligated that, okay, I got to keep it going because they taught me. A lot of people taught me, so it's my responsibility to continue the continue the pathway of what I was taught. You know, paying it forward. All the brothers was I grew up with was coming home from jail, or they was like, "I can't find a job," or whatever. You know, I would always make it a point to find them a job, and I started realizing if we the more businesses we create, the more people we can hire. You know, because I'm having a hard time with these people at this paint shop, but yeah, it costs ten thousand to start a paint shop. You know, and I know I can hire 15 people with a $10,000 investment. Because wow. we're spending, you know, like a million dollars a year painting cars, pretty much. Damn. 
collectively, me and all my buddies that I've helped start businesses and just people who was in business, I personally had a relationship and I became the advocate. You know, everybody's like, well, TJ's kind of smart. Let him do the talking, you know? <laughs> yeah. So they would call me with their problems and be like, TJ, that guy messed my car up or he took my money and he's sitting on the car and he touched it in three weeks or three months. And I was like, okay, well, we got to fix it. I became the problem solver. So I just started realizing they were like, well, little, little Pookie know how to paint, man. He'd be over there in his backyard making it happen. I'm like, if we put a paint, put Pookie in the paint shop, you think he's going to do his bit, handle the business? Like, man, I go up there with him every, I work there and help him. Okay, cool. I'm going to put it, I'm going to get a paint shop. So mm-hmm. I would start doing that. And then all of a sudden people, they, they started doing it because it was like, they're building so many cars. We need exclusive paint shops. We need exclusive uh, uh, interior people. We need exclusive guys to do the work for us. I mean, to do all works that has everything to do with making this a one-stop shop. So all of a sudden, it became responsible for each shop to hire all their friends in the neighborhood. Hey, y'all building a conglomerate. That's what we started doing. And it's like, I got to a situation <laughs> where I had so many employees. that was like, I can't handle all, especially with the trucks. I was like, I can't handle this. Uh, it's too much for me. I'm getting phone calls at 2 in the morning. My buddy said the truck is upside down on the side of the road in Mississippi. You know, I'm on the way back to Texas, and the police stopped me. And it was just a lie. It was like we got too many trucks on the highway. Oh, what was interesting was I would get more people. I would need to hire more people because when my trucks left California, they would always be empty. But when uh, all of a sudden they're going up to pick up some cars in Wisconsin, so now you got other trucking companies seeing us on the road, and all of a sudden we start getting contacts from Lamborghini saying, "Hey, can you drop off some cars? Can we notice you're you're going up there empty? How much how much would you charge me to throw a couple cars on the back? Oh, you know, because we don't have a dealership out there in Wisconsin. Okay, now we're getting contracts with so many people that we would have never thought that would even talk to us. You know? Yeah, I be. So it was just amazing the pathways that the automotive industry created, you know? So what was a real kicker was lowriders are heavier than any car on the highway, like a Bentley or something. It's super heavy. Mm-hmm. So I started making model. We started making modifications to these tow trucks and things like that, and they would void out our warranty, right? Oh, no, you made too many modifications. Why did you do this and why did you do that? And then all of a sudden next year when the 2020 model come out, guess what? All my modifications were on that new tow truck that they made. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. I didn't know what that word called patent, trademark, intellectual property was back then. I didn't know what that meant. So I would literally be at the dealer. Man, y'all need to do this. Y'all need to do that. Y'all need to put some hooks back here. Y'all need to make the rear axle, bring it up two inches, and y'all need to put some bigger uh, bearings in that rear end because they keep breaking. They're like, what? <laughs> what I should have been doing is got me a proposal together. I need y'all to sign this that you're not gonna steal my IP. I'm gonna sell you an improved tow truck. Um, you know, but what I really wish I would have done now. Here I am, years later. You know, thirty years out of the game. I'm like, I would have started my own tow truck manufacturing company. Yeah, I mean, you had all the designs, but you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. So, so my friend, it was just so much opportunity to hire people. And I didn't have enough people. You know, I started running into this situation where, you know, everybody wanted to go to college. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I got tow truck guys getting on the highway making $300,000 a year. You want a job? <laughs> you, want, you want? Let me give you a pathway to start a business. Everybody right. that used to work for me are millionaires right now. Mm. You hear what I say? 
everybody that used to work with me, the smart ones at least, the ones who said, you know what, let me get my own tow truck. Let me start my own paint shop. Let me start my own lowrider shop. Let me start my own transmission shop. Let me start my own muffler shop. They realized the money in this, and they said, you know what, let me learn how to, let me do my own business because I'm a great welder. I do all the welding for TJ, so I'm going to just start my own welding shop. All those guys are millionaires now because it's not enough of, it's not enough people to do the labor. And see, that's what I try to tell people when I, when I start speaking around the country. I'm like, it's not, a, it's a huge demand for people like us, but there's too many of y'all. You know, there's too many people with a master's degree. There's too many people with a doctorate, and there's not enough people to hire them. We losing businesses like crazy. We lost 9,100 big box stores last year. 4,000 mm. malls closed down. So the, the market is changing, but the automotive world is still the same. True. There's not enough people that can work on these cars. Like, for example, I had a guy who, uh, his, his, his Porsche, well, the Porsche wouldn't start. And the brand new Porsche off the lot, it was a GT3, you know, $160,000 Porsche. And then he said the light, something was wrong with the lights or something like that. Mm -hmm. He was going to take it back to the dealer, and they were like, TJ, we're going to have to send it to Germany and let them fix it because they don't do that over here. Like, what? Let me take a look at it. <laughs> so I fixed it, you know. And it turns out he was wow. going to pay $15,000 to fix that car. And when they found out I fixed that car, now you got all these different manufacturers want to talk to us, talk to me. You know, and they find out they got some black guys over there in Compton and these little shops that they build and fixing brand new cars. And matter of fact, they're they're taking our cars and, and taking brand new Mercedes apart and putting big wheels on them. <laughs> People would bring me brand new cars off the lot and say, TJ, I want you to put them big old 32-inch wheels that don't fit on other cars on, on my truck. Hold on, hold on right quick, TJ. We got a caller calling in. They want to talk to you desperately because i know they got questions on questions on questions because you in here giving us the game the black print how to get wealthy and build generational wealth as a black man in 2020 but before we bring the caller in i'm learning by your example and uh we got to go to commercial break because these videos don't produce they self so we'll be right back in 30 seconds shout out electron don't go nowhere i absolutely love to read books but honestly sometimes i just don't feel like it that's why I'm so grateful that I have a membership with Audible. Now I can have someone read books to me on demand whenever I want. Now I can listen to audiobooks while I'm exercising, cleaning the house, or visiting the royal throne. Sometimes I even like to listen to audiobooks as I fall asleep. It's actually quite relaxing. My Audible membership gives me thousands of books to choose from, which is why I'm recommending it to you. And if you use the link in the description, you can get two free audiobooks. That's two books of your choice, absolutely free, just for signing up via the link in the description. And you can even give Audible as a gift for someone you care about. Join Audible today. Welcome back to the Shout Out Electron. We are building the Black Prince of Wealth with the author of the new book, Monetizing Gentrification, Thomas T.J. Lofton. We have a caller on the line, a patron by the name of Todd and for those of you listening if you want to participate in the podcast and get on the show all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash qualicush and it only costs one dollar not only will you be supporting this channel but you'll also get to participate in the shows like Todd here so first of all thank you Todd for being the patron and whenever you're ready you can go ahead and ask Mr. TJ your question sir hello Ty, you can go ahead whenever you're ready, bro. Yeah, 
Hey, I got some questions for you. You get how many? Can you give me a number? How many of those guys that you actually make millionaires? You know, not all of them are willing to admit that. But when somebody got fourteen, fifteen, twenty tow trucks, you you kind of know they're millionaires. You know. So what's your uncommitted guess? I like to say at least sixty, seventy of them. Sixty to seventy percent of them are they're doing very well. The ones that followed the black print through. You know what I mean? Meaning. The ones who have stayed with their wives or something like that, settled down and got married, all those guys are doing very well. You know what I'm saying? They pathwayed off to do successful, but then you got a few of them who wanted to be playboys and, and just lose their mind. But for the most part, I got a lot, a lot of them did very well. You know, when we're having conversations and they're saying, oh, well, my house is paid for, all my cars are paid for, my other house in Texas is paid for, you know, you know he's a millionaire. But it's easy to say it's, being a millionaire is nothing no more because in Compton your average house is is, is five hundred thousand. You know, uh, being a millionaire depending on where you are says a lot. In California maybe not so much, but in Des Moines, Iowa that's pretty good. So right. I understand where you're coming from, but it says something good for your sense of community. That's why I wanted to hear the number because it says something good for your sense of community that you're not boasting. You're just making it. You're just making a statement of fact of what you participated in building. So here's, here's my other question. Um, at some point, most, a lot of people, not at some point, a lot of businesses, black and other races as well, they get into trouble as they get successful because they don't manage your tax responsibilities well. So you, at some point you had some people working for you that weren't building cars. There was accountants and tax preparers. Can you talk a little bit about where, what you learned along the way about what qualifies as a good legal write-off for you and how it benefited your business and if you had this experience, and um, was there an occasion where you thought, you know what, I got to get better at managing money because I could have made this much money this year, but because I I, I didn't do this, I, I took a loss as it applies to taxes? Well, I mean, I don't really want to go into taxes because, you know, that's a kind of bad word in our community, but I do know that, you know, every day I sit back and think about, you know, different things I should have known, I wish I would have known. You know, and I, I do recommend that when I'm speaking at colleges, I do recommend that we take a, a tax class and we learn more about taxes because I've seen a lot of people have major problems because of that. You know what I mean? But how I rolled off a lot of my stuff is I rolled a lot of my stuff into real estate, you know? And that's what I, I became very well-versed with real estate because of that. I helped a lot of my friends. You know, we were getting hit, hit real hard. We don't own anything. And, and yet we making all this money, so we were getting hit real hard. So I started buying a lot of houses. You know, back then, you know, when, when I was living at a city called Palmdale, California, I could buy a house for fifteen thousand dollars, a duplex for thirty. So I started buying four fourplexes for like twenty grand, for thirty grand, stuff like that, and that really helped me out. So that's why I became such a real estate guru. So I'm a great with cars, and I'm definitely I'm, I'm like a master car, master real estate person. So now, okay. funny, most people don't even know I work on cars because I'm always talking about houses and, and building houses from ground up because I've got 30 years experience just with ownership, you know. So real estate helped us out a lot with di with dealing with stuff like that. At some point, you had some accountants helping you though, and that's the reason I'm bringing it up because you're talking good, you're talking right about. You're putting in the work, the labor, and everything like that, but a lot of a lot of businesses go under because the money hasn't been hasn't been managed well because they didn't have enough consideration to put some good accountants 
And I know well, you don't have to thing, talk about brother, that. I don't, I don't want to make the whole interview about accountants and, and all of that, but I got smarter. Let me tell you what I did do. I got smart enough and hired an attorney. I had an attorney on staff. So my attorney kept me out of a lot of trouble back then. You know, she was the one who put me in situations and let me know. When I sat down with my financial planner at one time, they said, TJ, you're spending all of this money on this $30,000 a year on storages. You should just buy a piece of land and put all your cars and tow trucks and all your stuff in this. And then to touch back on another topic that you said, I find that by me not telling people how much money I made in my life, it makes people not want to do what I do. So as soon as they find out that, oh, I was a millionaire at the time, or I had a couple of houses worth a million dollars, that gets their interest. So now they're like, wow, this is serious. So, yes, I do want to be successful, so let me go ahead and do what he do. But when we go in and we tell people that, oh, well, yeah, you know, you can, this, this pays $18 an hour or this pays $50 an hour, it's like, how is that going to help me? So I have to say, okay, I was a millionaire by the time I turned 21 or 22 years old because I was selling these cars for a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. And that's what keeps, catches our people's attention. Unfortunately, we have a lot of people who are shallow and they, they need to see stuff. Just like I always say, every time I go somewhere and speak, people follow me out to the parking lot to see what I'm driving because we have a lot of shallow people. We, we come from the show me state, you know, show me that you've made some money. And I don't like that because you should be able to listen to my conversation. I'm saying things that you've never heard. I'm interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking on topics that you've never even heard of before that you can Google and research that they are true. You know, look at my IG page and see these pictures. Why do I got to show you I got a brand new Mercedes? That don't make no sense to me. Worse than shallow is voluntarily ignorant. That's worse than shallow. Shallow is bad enough. But I, I appreciate that you came on today, man, because you're, you're telling people what they need to hear. But in addition to what they, in addition to the work, they need to know that when you get this money, you need to manage it. They're right. They're right. I I appreciate you supporting the channel, Todd. You had a real good question. And uh, I want to know, for me, Mr. Lofton, how do you get things patented? How do I get things patented? Patented. Patented. I know you said you um you have legal people do most of your stuff like that for you, but like just in a in a simple way, like how can somebody who can't afford an attorney protect their their IP? In simple terms, sometimes you know I see people mailing off a letter, mailing stuff off. You know I've seen you know a sealed envelope, posting things on Facebook. It's like okay, well I posted this back in you know, 2016 on my Facebook. So I was the first person showing that, and this person came out with it in 2020, so he stole my idea. If you were the first with it, you can kind of win your case. But I always tell people, a patent, you got Google suing Samsung. You feel me? Yeah, I see. Google will patent something, and Samsung will say, okay, well, we know we're going to make a billion dollars off of that idea that we're going to steal, and we're going to lose in court, and they're going to make five hundred. They're going to take make us pay $500 million. Okay. Well, guess what? They're keeping $500 million, so they're going to steal your idea no matter who you are. Mm. I don't like to see people spend a lot of money trying to patent something, pay to get the product out. And then there are certain things that you patent, and then there are certain things that you don't patent. Like when Steve Jobs came up with this thing called a, a smartphone. We never heard of anything like that before. A smartphone, wow, what's that? Okay, well, that needs to be patented because he needs to make as much money off of that before they start stealing his idea. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm glad you said that. Well, let's talk about your book. A uh, very interesting title, Monetizing Gentrification. And I've seen 
somebody in the comments wants to know what does that mean and how do you do this? Can you, so can you tell the people how do you monetize gentrification? Well, I do teach training classes, so they can follow me or they can reach out to me about it. But how I got into real estate, at a very young age, some guys in my neighborhood, they decided to build some shopping centers. So I was there to witness the buying of the land, to witness the determining of the materials, you know, talking to an architect. Uh, should we, what kind of business it, should we put in there? What type of, uh, at nine years old, by the way, what type of, uh, 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 should we buy into a franchise or should we create our own franchises? You know, because we wanted a one-hour photo, and I remember the conversation, well, we can't buy that machine nowhere. They're the only ones with it because they have this thing called a patent, you know, which went right over my head at the time. And we determined that we got to buy into that franchise, use their machine. But other stuff like the barbershops, the beauty salons, and the things like the little mini markets and the burger stand, we can open our own up. So I was right there. Should we hire little Pookie and Ray Ray? But you know they be still. And so we had to. I had to sit back at nine or twelve years old and watch all of that and learn from all of that. So that's why I learned how to hire employees, et cetera. So anyway, watching that commercial shopping center be built all the way out to hiring employees was great. Was an amazing experience for me. So. I ended up growing up, and I started uh, buying land and buying apartment buildings and buying houses and things like that because I figured, you know, I own all these cars. We got me and my buddies. We got all these cars and nowhere to keep them. Landlords mm-hmm. come over, see all these cars in the backyard. Oh, I need you guys to get off my property. So it's like, okay, well, it's time to buy some stuff, you know. So we started buying commercial buildings, buying houses. You know, I went up, I went up to a city called Palmdale and bought a ranch house. You know, behind the mall, I was the first person that moved into this red line neighborhood. And, and you know, I, I had a lot of business savvy, so I knew strategies, and I figured out how to get in that neighborhood. But I never heard of redlining prior to that. And when I moved there, it created such an outroar. They were like, how did you get there? How did you move in there? Now I'm traveling the country telling people about redlining and things, that this is a strategy, solutions, you know, because a lot of people tend to think, oh, it's over. So anyway, fast forward the story. I had to go back and help all of my friends. I helped over 100 people directly start businesses and indirectly help thousands of people, you know, because those people kept it going. But I had to help all my friends start that. I helped them start businesses. I had to help them find uh, commercial buildings. I had to help them buy houses, you know. You know, it's one thing when you got a guy that got, you know, probably worth five or six million dollars, but he renting houses, you know. But now it's like, wow. When I find out some of their purchases, it blows my mind, you know. I'm out here in Georgia currently. I had a friend who flew me out here, you know, and the conversations is just it's, it's unbelievable. I'm like, man, you're a Compton dude that would have been in prison, you know, if, if if you didn't get into this lowrider. Now I call these guys like lowrider wealth. <laughs> I was at a friend's house, and I said, the house that lowriding built. <laughs> he said they're like, no, nobody know how he made his right. money. Don't nobody believe how he made his money. And it's just interesting. And that's why I tell people, don't judge people because there's too many people that are millionaires off of the craziest things. You know, like I made a million dollars off of putting some screws in the bag one time. People mm-hmm. would always come to me and say, TJ, can I get this, uh, these screws? You know, do you know anybody got these screws? So I went out and found those screws and paid like, you know, uh, 50 cents a bag or $5 a bag or something. And all of a sudden put them in a Ziploc bag and sold them for $125. And all of a sudden, I was pulling six and seven figures down a year 
And I'm like, man, I would love to be the screw billionaire. I ain't never made no screws, but I was just, I knew what to do with the screws. It's, it comes from being in business for years, recognizing their, their infancy. For example, when I come out here to Georgia, I've been following this gentrification thing. I'd have been over 22 states. And when I came out here to Georgia, I saw all this future development going on. You know, I noticed, okay, wait a minute, they're building public storages all over the place. That means they're going to bring in development because when you come in and you gentrify a community, you got you got people who are saying, we're going to buy your house today and we need you out of here tomorrow. Mm -hmm. These people need a place to put their stuff. So, for example, when Tyler Perry, when I found out that Tyler Perry built a studio out here in Georgia, I was like, Houses around the studios in California, you can get a two-bedroom house starting at a million, I mean, $2 million. If they're built, you telling me Tyler Perry's building a studio in the middle of a hood? He says it's a black community and it's a bad neighborhood? I'm like, well, I'm going to put on my bulletproof vest and go on over there and pick up some houses because I already know it's only a matter of time before those celebrities decide that they don't want to drive to work, that they want to walk to work, so they're going to buy these houses around the studio. Wow. Those houses in East Point are skyrocketing because of Tyler Perry. And then the same thing with, with all of these different developments they're doing. I'm like, it's time to start opening businesses in these areas. They just built 7,700 houses in a city in, in South Carolina. And I'm like, it's time to open up some shopping centers there. So that's how I recognize. I follow these corporations. We're, we're Amazon's opening up a brand new such and such. Okay, well, I'm going to go over there and buy those little raggedy houses across the street because they opening up in the middle of this neighborhood. It's like we have to learn real estate. That's why I teach people real estate classes. You know, because we, 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 we think backwards. We think, oh, that house, I was like, what are you looking for? And so as long as they got some granite and a nice bathroom, I'm, I'll take it. And I'm like, that's it? They're like, yeah. I said, no, don't you want to open up a business? I'm sorry, a house, buy a house by Tesla or, or by, like in Los Angeles, you know, and it's another neighborhood in Los Angeles called, uh, in LA, in Harkon, actually. And, uh, in the middle of this black neighborhood, Elon Musk, one of the world's wealthiest men, built, uh, SpaceX. And he got his rocket ship sitting out on Crenshaw Boulevard. Come on, y'all. We need to buy these houses. I'm like, I don't care what's over there. Just get me something. That's what I'm talking about, man. Mr. Thomas T.J. Lofton, my brother, man. I want to thank you again. I can't thank you enough for taking the time out today to come on my little raggedy-ass show. But, I mean, I know that's what you do. You've been doing that your whole life, man, helping young black entrepreneurs. You hire people out of prison and turn them into millionaires. We talk about how you took a lowrider hobby and turned it into an international business how you learn credit redlining and taught it to other young black entrepreneurs and learn how to invest and cut your costs we talked about so much stuff man you gave us a lot of juice and a lot of game and we can't thank you enough for that man so before we get out of here tell the people how they can connect with you how they can reach you how they can buy your book how they can get in touch with you on social media, all that. How can they get at you? Okay, they can go to start by getting my book, Monetizing Gentrification. They can go to my website at Thomas TJ Lofton, L O F T I N dot com. Or just follow me on all my social media. I'm at Thomas TJ Lofton. Hey, what's up? This is your boy Quali Kush. If you like the videos on this channel, then why not visit our website, QualiKush.com. We post every day with topics ranging from religion to science, critical thinking, black-owned businesses, and much, much more. On the website, you'll also find links to all of the other social media related to Kwali Kush. I personally post a book recommendation daily to the blog. 
and we are um 420 friendly so come on down visit us leave a comment and let us know what you think qualikush.com welcome back to shout out electron with science meets culture my name is Kwali kush and today we're talking about the black print to wealth how to build generational wealth we just had the real estate guru celebrity car mechanic thomas tj lofty come in and give us the black print of how he became a millionaire by age 21 by turning his hobby into a business so let's get into the scientific aspect of it how can science teach us about getting rich or building wealth what does science have to say about it well for a long time science didn't have much to say about it until recently new research has given us new insight on how people become uber wealthy so for example a report last year concluded that just eight men had a total wealth equivalent to the wealth of the world's poorest 3.8 billion people and this is because of something that they call a 80 20 rule so the distribution of wealth follows the 80 20 rule where 80 percent of the wealth is owned by 20 percent of the people so why is that why is that the case is it because these people are just smarter they're just better at what they do what is it so according to the research science say that the factor that determines what makes someone super rich or just almost rich is luck yep it's just luck pure luck so that doesn't mean that every rich person is just lucky so what the data suggests is that in order to build a certain amount of wealth you have to have a certain amount of talent and by talent they mean uh how adept you are in your field so let's take mr lofton for example he was a car mechanic so he was working on cars as a hobby as a kid so when he found out that they were going to be putting lowriders in videos that was his luck there's no way that he could have known that rappers were going to like lowriders in the future and that it was going to become this big international trend and that he could get in on the ground level and become a millionaire he didn't know that but what he did was he became talented at working on cars and souping them up and and making them in a way that no nobody else really knew how to do so when his opportunity came when he when he got lucky he was talented enough to capitalize on it and that's what separates the uber rich from just the upper middle class those people who are uber rich capitalize on these lucky opportunities and it can it can happen the other way as well so again with mr lofton he said that he was modifying tow trucks and they basically stole his modification that he could have you know made his own tow truck company and been a billionaire but uh because he wasn't talented in that aspect of it and by knowing what intellectual property was he wasn't able to capitalize on that opportunity so this is what separates the uber rich from just the regular rich it's luck so as it turns out the most successful people are not the most talented ones they are the luckiest this seems to occur in all societies at all scales it's a well-known study pattern called the power law that crops up in a wide range of social phenomena but the distribution of wealth is among the most controversial because the issues it raises about fairness and merit so on 
So why do so few people in the world hold so much of the wealth? Well, back in the day, we used to think that wealth was a measure of somebody's intelligence or work ethic. But now, you know, people think that this translates into wealth distribution. We see this, uh, this is a problem. It, it doesn't really make sense. So take, for example, how we take um, IQ tests. While wealth distribution follows a power law, the distribution of human skills generally follows a normal distribution that is symmetric about an average value. For example, intelligence is measured by IQ, and it follows this pattern. Average IQ is 100, but nobody has an IQ of 1,000 or 10,000. The same is true of effort and work ethic. You can measure that by hours. So some people might work more hours than average and some people might work less hours than average. But nobody works a billion hours a week. And nobody, you know, works a, a extreme magnitude of hours less than anybody else. But yet when it comes to the rewards for work, some people seem to make billions of times more than other people. And plus many studies have shown that the wealthiest people are generally not the smartest by any measure. I mean, just look at Donald Trump, for example. What factors then determine how individuals become wealthy? Perhaps chance plays a bigger role than we expected. Well, thanks to some scientists at the University of Catania, Alessandro Platino and his colleagues have created a computer model of human talent and the way people use it to explore opportunities in life. The model allows the team to study the role of chance in the process of wealth generation. The results were surprising to say the least. The simulations accurately reproduce the wealth distribution in the real world, but the wealthiest individuals in the simulation are not the most talented, although a several level of talent is prerequisite. So what is the, the common factor that the most wealthy seem to share? Is good luck the most wealthy tend to be the luckiest and the poorest tend to be the unluckiest never in the computer model even though how many times they run it do the most talented or the most intelligent end up being the wealthiest it's always just the luckiest so for example in Platino's model it's pretty straightforward it consists of X amount of people each with a certain level of talent that means like skill, intelligence, ability, and so on. This talent is distributed normally around some average level with some standard deviation. So some people are more talented than average and some are less talented, but nobody is several orders of magnitude more talented than anybody else. This is the same kind of distribution we see for various human skills or even characteristics like height and weight. Some people are taller or smaller than average, but nobody is the size of an ant and nobody is the size of a skyscraper. Indeed, we are all quite similar. The computer model charts each individual through a working life of 40 years. During this time, the individuals experience lucky events that they can exploit to increase their wealth if they are talented enough. For example, let's say two people are presented with the same lucky opportunity. Person A is just as talented as the least talented millionaire in the given field, while person B is only moderately talented in the same field. Person A is more likely to get rich from the opportunity because they have enough talent. But exactly how rich person A will get is not determined by talent. That depends on luck.
This data suggests that in order to be a millionaire, one must be at least as talented as the least talented millionaires in the given field. However, one does not need to be significantly more talented than the least talented millionaire in order to be a multi-billionaire. The same level of talent can produce a millionaire or a multi-billionaire. However, people experience unlucky events that reduce their wealth. These events can occur at random. At the end of 40 years, Platino ranks the individuals by wealth and studies the characteristics of the most successful. They also calculate wealth distribution. They then repeat the simulation numerous times to check the robustness of the data. Now, when the researchers rank the individuals by wealth, the distribution is exactly like that which we see in the real world. 80% of the wealth is owned by 20% of the people. Now, that may not be unfair if the wealthiest 20% turn out to be most talented, but that's not the case. The wealthiest people typically are not the most talented or anywhere near. So if not talent, then what other factor causes this skewed wealth distribution? Well, it turns out it's luck. The team shows this by ranking individuals according to the number of lucky and unlucky events they experienced throughout their 40 year careers. This has significant implications for society. So what is the most effective strategy for exploiting the role of luck as it plays in our success? Well, the scientists study this from a point of view of scientific research funding, probably because that's something that has something to do with them. Funding agencies all over the world are interested in maximizing their return on investment in the scientific world. The European Research Council recently invested $1.7 million in a program to study the serendipity of the role of luck in scientific discovery and how it can be exploited to improve funding outcomes. So Platino and his team used their model to explore different kinds of funding models to see which produces the best returns when luck is taken into account. The team studied three models in which research funding is distributed equally to all scientists, distributed randomly to a subset of scientists, or given to those who have been most successful in the past. Now, which one of these do you think worked out the best? Well, the strategy that delivered the best returns as it turns out is to divide the funding equally among all researchers who would have thought and the second and third best strategies involve distributing it at random in these cases the researchers are best able to take advantage of the serendipity discoveries they make from time to time in hindsight it seems obvious that the fact that a scientist made a lucky chance discovery in the past doesn't mean he or she is likely to do so in the future a similar approach could also be applied to investment in other kinds of enterprises such as small, large businesses, tech startup, educations that increase talent, or even the creation of random lucky events. This changes the outlook we had on wealth generation forever. While more work is needed in this field of study, we can be satisfied that at least we know what direction to move in. So the key points that you need to take from today are maximize your talent in whatever field that you're in, be as talented as you can be and be ready when the opportunity comes to take advantage of it. Cut your costs, whatever you spend your money on, learn how to make money off of it or to eliminate it as a cost, especially if you are in business. Always keep your eyes open, be on the lookout for things that are in their infancy. That's what we learned from Mr. TJ Lofton today. And I also learned if you don't know how to do something, hire somebody who does. And lastly, but definitely not least, support 
black businesses. We are the only race of people that don't support each other, the only race of people that don't own the stores in our own community. So if you aren't buying black by now, all you have to do is go to qualitycush.com. We have a full database, all the black owned products you ever want. Anything that you need, you can buy from a black person. You don't have an excuse anymore. Qualitycush.com. And with that being said, thank you for watching Shout Out Electron with Science and Beats Culture. And we'll be back next time with another educational, informative banger for your anger. Holla at your boy.